Hello, this is Rue. And Dave. Welcome to So Many Books. So Little Time. Uh, today we're going to continue with Anne of Green Gables by Ellen Montgomery uh, and with Chapter 11, which is Anne's Impressions of Sunday School. Ooh. Cue the music. Now, uh, we have entered the windy season, that is, storm season in Australia. Yeah, although it's not been as stormy or windy as one would hope. Uh, We've kind of had a drought for most of the year. Yeah, it's getting a little bit, well, most of the year. For the last few years, we've had a bit of a drought happening, which is not great. Our rainfall is definitely reduced, and it's becoming problematic Aside from, you know, initially it's just, it's uh, yellow lawns, but no, now it's severe. I mean, the severe agricultural impact has been around for a while now, but it's getting worse and worse. And it's also knowing that when it does rain, it really rains. Well, actually not lately, but usually like earlier this year, it's been, um, it'll build up and then you'll have like a week of just torrent and it's like, well... I'd prefer maybe if you just rained a couple days every month, that'd be great, instead of just choosing one huge block of time. I wonder if we're getting like the weather, like I don't know enough about um, climate and weather patterns, like in terms of, I I couldn't tell you if this is a thing, but I wonder if this, uh, we're shifting towards some sort of monsoon-like pattern, Uh because we tend to have... We've always had storm seasons. We've always had storm seasons, our spring and our fall. November and December especially. Yeah, they tend to be pretty wild. Well, October, November, December are the three months and then... Well, I I just remember because, you know, Indy happens in November usually. October. Ah, okay. October we have a... So our local town has a race in October. And it always rains for it. It usually does coincide with one major storm, and part of it might be due to the particulates that rise and that rise up into the atmosphere, and the fact that we get um, uh, what's it called? Uh, war, war, plane, plane, war, fighter jets, fighter jets flying through the sky as part of the activities. I'd like to use another word, but I don't know what the other word was that I was trying to look for. Fair enough. Event. Yeah. Activities. And I, I remember circus. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yes, yes. But yes, so whether that sets off things, we don't know. I, I said, not my, not my particular field. Not my particular field. I have a feeling we're both a little uh, burnt out at the moment. We're a little zoned out. It's, we've hit, you know, that afternoon time where we're both of us having a cup of tea. But we're at that point of the afternoon, we're like, ah, the light from the sun is that nice little golden hue and... And you just start zoning out a little bit. Thinking After, difficult. Yes. yes. The afternoonitis. But, you know, what, what? this is almost the perfect book for that kind of feeling. Yeah, like we can. And I mean, this topic, it's probably good if we're a little bit more laid back because it can get otherwise very tense. Like, I mean, this story, no, but this topic, I mean, we're going to be discussing Sunday school. And so religious conversation will probably come up, will definitely come up so it's, it's good to be a bit more mellow about it it's good to be a little bit more chill when it does because eh, it, it can get a bit 
it can become a tense topic. Not for Dave and I. We tend to be really good when it comes to t- topics about religion and philosophy and other things. But, it can, you know, it's not a bad thing to be a little bit more chill about, at least for our for purposes of our podcast. Well, topics that many people on this planet take very seriously. Well, it's, and it doesn't mean that we're not taking it seriously. It's just that, folks... We're a little zoned out because it's the afternoon, and that's why we may not go into as much depth as you would expect from a topic that can be quite intense in but, other settings. But that's what our Facebook group is for. It's so if you pretty... would like to go in more depth. Or if you'd like to have discussions over Twitter and a couple of threads, hey, that's what we can do. Why not? As I said, my tea. Okay. Um, but in the meantime, let's find out how Anne whom uh, Marilla referred to as a veritable heathen at some stage in a previous chapter. <laughs> Lovely. Um, how, what her impressions of Sunday school are. Chapter 11, Anne's impressions of Sunday school. Well, how do you like them? said Marilla. Anne was standing in the gable room looking solemnly at three new dresses spread out on the bed. One was of a snuffy coloured gingham, which Marilla had been tempted to buy from a peddler the preceding summer because it looked so serviceable. One was of black and white checkered sateen, which she had picked up at the bargain counter in the winter. And one was a stiff print of an ugly blue shade, which she had purchased that week at a Carmody store. She had made them up herself, and they were all made alike. Plain skirts, pulled tightly to plain waists, with sleeves as plain as waist and skirt, and tight as sleeves could be. I'll imagine that I like them, said Anne soberly. <laughs> I don't want you to imagine it, said Marilla, offended. Oh, I can see you don't like the dresses. What is the matter with them? Aren't they neat and clean and new? Yes. Then why don't you like them? They're, they're not pretty, said Anne reluctantly. Pretty, Marilla sniffed. I didn't trouble my head about getting pretty dresses for you. I don't believe in pampering vanity, Anne, and I'll tell you that right off. Those dresses are good, sensible, serviceable dresses, without any frills or furbelows about them, and they're all you'll get this summer. The brown gingham, gingham, I can't say gingham. I think it's gingham. I thought it's gingham, but I can't remember. So, the brown gingham and the blue print will do you for school when you begin to go. The sateen is for church and Sunday school. I'll expect you to keep them neat and clean and not to tear them. I should think you'd be grateful to get most anything after those skimpy, wincy things you've been wearing. Oh, I am grateful, protested Anne, but I'd be ever so much gratefuler if you'd just made one of them with puff sleeves. Puff sleeves are so fashionable now. It would give me such a thrill, Marilla, just to wear a dress with puffed sleeves. Well, you'll have to do without your thrill. I hadn't any material to waste on puffed sleeves. I think they're ridiculous-looking things anyhow. I prefer the plain, sensible ones. But I'd rather look ridiculous when everybody else does than plain and sensible all by myself, persisted Anne mournfully. Trust you for that. Well, hang those dresses carefully up in your closet and then sit down and learn the Sunday school lesson. I got a quarterly from Mr. Bell for you and you'll go to Sunday school tomorrow, said Marilla, disappearing downstairs in high dudgeon. Anne clasped her hands and looked at the dresses. I did hope there would be a white one with puff sleeves, she whispered disconsolately. I prayed for one, but I didn't much expect it on that account. I didn't suppose God would have time to bother about a little orphan girl's dress. I knew I'd just have to depend on Marilla for it. Well, 
Fortunately, I can imagine that one of them is of snow-white muslin with lovely lace frills and three puffed sleeves. The next morning, warnings of a sick headache prevented Marilla from going to Sunday school with Anne. You'll have to go down and call for Mrs. Lynn, Anne, she said. She'll see that you get into the right class. Now, mind you, behave yourself properly. Stay to preaching afterwards and ask Mrs. Lynn to show you our pew. Here's a cent for collection. Don't stare at people and don't fidget. I shall expect you to tell me the text when you become... <laughs> Because of our modern use of that sentence, text, of the word text, oh. my brain went, I'll expect you to send me a text. <laughs> I'm like, like <laughs> no, <laughs> no, let's try that again, brain. I shall expect you to tell me the text when you come home. Anne started off irreproachable, arrayed in the stiff black and white sateen, which, while decent as regards length and certainly not open to the charge of skimpiness, contrived to emphasize every corner and angle of her thin figure. Her hat was a little flat, glossy new sailor, the extreme plainness of which had likewise much disappointed Anne, who had permitted herself secret visions of ribbon and flowers. The latter, however, were supplied before Anne reached the main road, for being confronted halfway down the lane with a golden frenzy of wind-stirred buttercups and a glory of wild roses, Anne promptly and liberally garlanded her hat with a heavy wreath of them. Whatever other people might have thought of the result, it satisfied Anne, and she tripped gaily down the road, holding her ruddy head with its decoration of pink and yellow very proudly. When she had reached Mrs. Lynde's house, she had found that lady gone. Nothing daunted, Anne proceeded onward to the church alone. In the porch she found a crowd of little girls, all more or less gaily attired in whites and blues and pinks, and all staring with curious eyes at this stranger in their midst, with her extraordinary head adornment. Avonlea little girls had already heard queer stories about <laughs> Anne. Mrs. Lynde said she had an awful temper. Jerry Booty, <laughs> we meet again, Jerry Booty. I can't pronounce your name. But, but, Jerry Boat, the hired boy at Green Gables, said she talked all the time to herself with the trees and flowers like a crazy girl. They looked at her and whispered to each other behind their quarterlies. Nobody made any friendly advances then or later on when the opening exercises were over, and Anne found herself in Miss Rogerson's class. Miss Rogerson was a middle-aged lady who had taught Sunday class for 20 years. Her method of teaching was to ask the printed questions from the quarterly and look sternly over its edge at the particular little girl she thought ought to answer the question. She looked very often at Anne, and Anne, thanks to Marilla's drilling, answered promptly, but it may be questioned if she understood very much about either question or answer. She did not think she liked Mrs. Rogerson, and she felt very miserable. Every other little girl in the class had puff sleeves. Anne felt that life was really not worth living without puff sleeves. Well, how did you like Sunday school? Marilla wanted to know when Anne came home. Her wreath having faded, Anne had discarded it in the lane, so Marilla was spared the knowledge of that for a time. I didn't like it a bit. It was horrid. Anne Shirley, said Marilla rebukedly. Anne sat down on the rocker with a long sigh, kissed one of Bonnie's leaves and waved her hand to a blossoming fuchsia. They might have been lonesome while I was away, she explained. And now about the Sunday school. I behaved well, just as you told me. Mrs. Lynde was gone, but I, but I went right on myself. I went into the church with a lot of other little girls. 
and I sat in the corner of a pew by the window while the opening exercises went on. Mr. Bell made an awfully long prayer. I would have been dreadfully tired before he got through it if I had not been sitting by that window. But it looked right out on the lake of shining water, so I just gazed at that and imagined all sorts of splendid things. You shouldn't have done anything of the sort. You should have listened to Mr. Bell. But he wasn't talking to me, protested Anne. He was talking to God, and he didn't seem to be very much interested in it either. I think he thought God was too far off, though. There was a long row of white birches hanging over by the lake, and the sunshine fell through them, way, way down deep into the water. Oh, Marilla, it was like a beautiful dream. It gave me a thrill, and I just said, Thank you for it, God, two or three times. Not loud, I hope, said Marilla anxiously. Oh, no, just under my breath. Well, Mr. Bell did get through at last. <laughs> Mr. Bell did get through at last, and then they... And they told me to go into the classroom with Miss Rogerson's class. There were nine other girls in it. They all had puffed sleeves. I tried to imagine mine were puffed too, but I couldn't. Why couldn't I? It was easy as could be to imagine they were puffed when I was alone in the East Gable. But it was awfully hard there among others who ha had really, truly puffs. You shouldn't have been thinking about your sleeves in Sunday school. You should have been attending to the lesson. I hope you knew it. Oh, yes, and I answered a lot of questions. Mrs. Rogerson asked ever so many. I don't think it was fair of her to do all the asking. There were, lots I want there were lots I wanted to ask her, but I didn't like to because I didn't think she was a kindred spirit. Then all the other little girls recited a paraphrase. She asked me if I knew any. I told her I didn't, but I could recite The Dog at His Master's Grave, if she liked. That's in the Third Royal Reader. It isn't really, truly religious piece of poetry, but it's so sad and melancholy that it might as well be. <laughs> she said that it wouldn't do, and she told me to learn the 19th paraphrase for the next Sunday. I read it over in church afterwards, and it's splendid. There are two lines in particular that just thrill me. Quick as the slaughtered squadrons fell in Midian's evil day. I don't know what squadrons means, means, nor Midian either, but it sounds so tragical. I can't hardly wait until next Sunday to recite it. I'll practice it all the week. After Sunday school, I asked Mrs. Rogers, because Mrs. Lynde was too far away, to show me your pew. I sat just as still as I could, and the text was Revelations, third chapter, second and third verses. It was a very long text. If I was a minister, I'd pick the short, snappy ones. The sermon was awfully long, too. I suppose the minister had to match it to the text. I didn't think he was a bit interesting. The trouble with him seems to be that he hasn't got enough imagination. I didn't listen to him very much. I just let my thoughts run and I thought of the most surprising things. Marilla felt helplessly that all this should be sternly reproved, but she was hampered by the undeniable fact that some of the things Anne had said, especially about the minister's sermons and Mr. Bell's prayers, were what she herself had really thought deep down in her heart for years, but had never given expression to. It almost seemed to her that those secret, unuttered, critical thoughts had suddenly taken visible and accusing shape and form in the person of this outspoken morsel of neglected humanity. And that's a nice little turn of phrase. Yeah, just... I mean, it's not nice that it happened to her, but it's interesting that she she's not she's not feeling that she's in a position to criticize if she thinks or feels similarly. Mm. I mean, she could if she felt guilty and about the hypocrisy, like oh, I feel that way too, but I never said a thing. Kind of I, thing. I think that's why a lot of people 
reproach others is because that, that person has said this, the thing that they've always thought but never had the courage to say themselves. Possible. And also a bit of, that's probably maybe, I wonder if that's where a lot of the defensiveness that happens in our general conversation comes from. And just in society. In general society, we have so much defensiveness because it's just so many people, when we share our opinions, it's all about your opinion and you must you must defend your opinion to the end and you're going well you can share your opinion and then you can listen to someone else's opinion and you can see if there's something that you can hear in what they're saying you connect with instead of being so attached to the one opinion that you initially showed that you fail to recognize when there's something that they've said that you connect to and understand like that you feel anyway inside there's there's definitely a lack of you know instead of listening most people just wait for their turn to speak yeah and in, you know, you'll probably be familiar with this because it, it's it's quite prevalent. I've noticed in nerdy circles, but the idea of, and, and I suffered from this for years and kind of still do. I'm still working on it. But, we all do. It's um, that idea of, you know, if I say, you know, I, I like this band and someone else says, oh, I really hate that band. Suddenly I feel bad because it feels like they're attacking my self-worth rather than just expressing their opinion about we're, something I we're like. We're attaching our identity yeah. with our opinions, whereas we could be uh, attaching our identity with our our um, the quality of our character. Like the quality of our character could be what um, what defines who we are. And our opinions are what we identify and relate to and connect with, and then we keep adding to and keep developing and exploring. Well, and, and I watched this thing recently. It was... Um... The wrestler Al Snow talking about why he really despises toxic fans in wrestling, but what he said is kind of applicable to many things. He called the you know the thing with an opinion. It's kind of the uh, lowest form of discourse. Yeah, everyone because, has opinions. Yeah. Well, because you don't have to have any knowledge whatsoever to have an opinion. That's true. And then that opinion can gain ground. And like we just said, people get attached to their opinions. So it be, ends up that thing where people take offense if you. Uh, if if you're in opposition to their opinion, even if they have formed that opinion on almost no knowledge whatsoever, yeah. well, even if it's not that you're you're uh, a person has a completely opposite opinion, even if it's a slightly different opinion, mm -hmm. getting to a point where two individuals agree that they have similar thoughts, but they're not exactly the same, but they're similar, we don't focus on the similarity in our conversations. We focus on the difference. We focus on. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you to this point, but then I really disagree with you on the bit that I that that is different to me. Or, or they just eschew the I agree altogether. Yeah, they don't, they don't bother to agree. So I disagree with you on this point. You're going, yeah, but we agree on the rest of it, right? That that's the foundation for a conversation. Like we can agree that, um, so both of them, and rather, okay, at the same time, in this case of Marilla and Anne, she doesn't want to discourage her. And at the same time, she did ask her her insights, her reflections. Mm -hmm. So she can't kind of say, don't say something when she's just mm. told her to say something. Yeah. But I think in between when she has to say something in the sense of trying to gently encourage and mold a young mind, she does yeah. like, look, it's not appropriate when you're in this space to, to drift off and be yeah. distracted. Because the idea is, I mean, uh, in, in the perception of Marilla, it's the mortal soul that's in question yep. here. So for Marilla's peace of mind, for, for Anne's mortal soul to be protected, she should be paying attention. But at the same time, the criticisms she's levying are not 
false no uh, they're there and the lack of sincerity from the, the the preaching and things like that yeah it's interesting that she can un- she can acknowledge and accept that but at the same time doesn't know how to address uh, she's like <laughs> she stops herself yeah it's um it's really interesting i've just hit upon that mortal soul i mean isn't the soul supposed to be the immortal party yeah, you're right. Sorry. Or, oh, but it's probably referring to you soul as a noun, as a person. Yes, yes, like yes. You're, yes, a, yes, you're yes, the yes. soul person, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think but it, then that doesn't I make could, sense. No, I might also be using the wrong <laughs> expression because my my way of expressing things, uh, my phraseology gets stuffed up a lot. So it would have been immortal soul. She's worried about her immortal soul. That would make right, sense. Right, right. But I, I swear I've heard mortal soul. I have heard that too, and I, that's probably why I'm confused. But I'm wondering if the mortal soul is our our personality and our eh, it gets into the uh, that we go or you know at the bottom of our feet. Aha, the S O L E as opposed to the S O U L. Okay, but yes, but yeah, it's it's. I mean, it was an interesting chapter that you can tell that she's. she's well, I hope you know. I I I've had a feeling that if this town is kind of as isolated and conservative as we've been led to believe so far. The um, the sermons aren't going to be rousing to somewhat advanced no. character, but also I. So we've just heard how Anne, how Anne perceived the day as proceeding, and a little bit of how others perceived her, but not much. Like the little girls. Well, she thought like Miss Rogerson called on her too much, which probably was which was a reflection on Miss Rogerson picking on the girl that she feels should be able to answer, like basically. Her her target of the day, or ju- yeah, just the new girl, or I don't like the look of her. Or well, yeah, that. it was saying it was saying it before with Miss Rogerson had taught a Sunday school class for twenty years. Her method of teaching was to ask the printed questions from the quarterly and look sternly over the edge at the particular little girl she thought ought to answer the question. Yeah. So she is picking on her, and the yeah. fact that Anne picked up on it, but without saying she's picked on me. So she asked me a lot of questions, mm. a lot more than anyone else, which yeah. is a bit. Weird, because I wanted to ask questions, but I couldn't. Mm. Which is probably a good thing, because I don't think Mrs. Rochester would have been a... Well, she said it as well, and said, I don't think... Like, I didn't feel she was a kindred soul, so I didn't ask her any questions. And the girls already are kind of whispering behind Anne's back, and that probably would have just uh, fueled... Yeah, made her emphasize. It made her otherness and standing out, really. Um, And I I forgot all about the boy that Matthew had hired, so yeah, of course, he would be talking about... This weird, weird girl. Weird girl. Although, yeah. really, he shouldn't because he's a, she's the reason he has a job. Yeah, but... But, yeah, weird girl on a farm that he's noticed. And he's probably jealous that, uh, that what's his name, um, that Matthew, you know, cares for her as a, a, a person. Maybe. I think it's part of it. Bit of jealousy there. But shall, shall we try Chapter 12? Yeah, yeah, we got plenty of time. Yeah, well... I think let's continue with a solemn vow and promise. It was not until the next Friday that Marilla heard the story of the flower wreath tat. <laughs> she came home from Mrs. Lynde's and called Anne to account. Anne, Mrs. Rachel said, you went to church last Sunday with your hat rigged out ridiculous with roses and buttercups. What on earth put you up to such a caper? A pretty looking object you must have been. Oh, I know, pink and yellow aren't becoming to me, began Anne. Becoming fiddlesticks. It was putting flowers on your hat at all, no matter what colour they were, that was ridiculous. You are the most aggravating child. (laughs) I don't see why it's any more ridiculous to wear flowers on your hat than on your dress, protested Anne. 
Lots of little girls there had bouquets pinned on their dresses. What's the difference? Marilla was not to be drawn from the safe concrete into dubious parts of the abstract. Don't answer me back like that, Anne. It was very silly of you to do such a thing. Never let me catch you at such a trick again. Mrs. Rachel says she thought she would sink through the floor when she saw you come in all rigged out like that. She couldn't get near enough to tell you to take them off until it was too late. She said people talked about it something dreadful. Of course they would think. I had no better sense than to let you go decked out like that. Oh, I'm so sorry, said Anne, tears welling into her eyes. I never thought you'd mind. The roses and buttercups were so sweet and pretty. I thought they'd look lovely on my hat. Lots of the little girls had artificial flowers on their hats. I'm afraid I'm going to be a dreadful trial to you. Maybe you'd better send me back to the asylum. That would be terrible. I don't think I could endure it. Most likely I would go into consumption. I'm so thin as it is, you see, but it would be better than being a trial to you. Nonsense, said Marilla, vexed at herself for having made the child cry. I don't want to send you back to the asylum. I'm sure. All I want is that you should behave like other little girls and not make yourself ridiculous. Don't cry any more. I've got some news for you. Diana Barry came home this afternoon. I'm going up to see if I can borrow a skirt pattern from Mrs. Barry. And if you like, you can come with me and get acquainted with Diana. Anne rose to her feet. With clasped hands, the tears still glistening on her cheeks, the dish towel she had been hemming slipped unheeded to the floor. Oh, Marilla, I'm frightened. Now that it has come, I'm actually frightened. What if she shouldn't like me? It would be the most tragical disappointment of my life. Pausing here. Considering the stuff she's been through, the most tragical disappointment? Well, you know, 12-year-old girl hyperbole. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Maybe, yeah. Now, don't get into a fluster. And I do wish you wouldn't use such long words. It sounds so funny in a little girl. I guess Diana will like you well enough. It's her mother you've got to reckon with. If she doesn't like you, it won't matter how much Diana does. If she has heard about your outburst to Mrs. Lynde and going to church with buttercups round your hat, I don't know what she'll think of you. You must be polite and well-behaved. And don't make any of your startling speeches. For pity's sake, if the child isn't actually trembling. Anne was trembling. Her face was pale and tense. Oh, Marilla... You'd be excited, too, if you were going to meet a little girl you hoped to be your bosom friend, and whose mother mightn't like you, she said as she hastened to get her hat. They went over to Orchard Slope by the shortcut across the brook and up the Furry Hill Grove. Mrs. Barry came to the kitchen door to answer to Marilla's knock. She was a tall, black-eyed, black-haired woman with a very resolute mouth. She had the reputation of being very strict with her children. How do you do, Marilla, she said cordially. Come in. And this is the little girl you have adopted, I suppose? Yes, this is Anne Shirley, said Marilla. Spelled with an E, gasped Anne, who, tremulous and excited as she was, was determined there should be no misunderstanding on that important point. Mrs. Barry, not hearing nor, or not comprehending, merely shook hands and said kindly, How are you? I am well in body, although considerably rumpled up in spirit. Thank you, ma'am, said Anne gravely. <laughs> then aside to Marilla in an audible whisper, <laughs> There wasn't anything startling in that, was there, Marilla? <laughs> oh, man. Oy. 
Diana was sitting on the sofa reading a book which she dropped when the callers entered. She was a very pretty little girl, and her mother's black eyes and hair and rosy cheeks, and the merry expression which was her inheritance from her father. This is my little girl Diana, said Mrs. Barry. Diana, you might take Anne out into the garden and show her your flowers. It will be better for you than straining your eyes over that book. She reads entirely too much. This to Marilla as the little girls went out. And I can't prevent her, for her father aids and abets her. She's always poring over a book. I'm glad she has the prospect of a playmate. Perhaps it will take her more out of doors. Outside in the garden, which was full of mellow sunset light streaming through the dark old firs to the west of it, like this light that we are currently experiencing, very nice, you can't see it, but it's the same light, stood Anne and Diana gazing bashfully at each other over a clump of gorgeous tiger lilies. The Barry Garden was a bowery wilderness of flowers which would have delighted Anne's heart at any time less fraught with destiny. It was encircled by huge old willows and tall firs, beneath which flourished flowers that loved the shade. Prim, right-angled paths, neatly bordered with clamshells, intersected it like moist red ribbons, and in the beds between, old-fashioned flowers ran riot. There were rosy bleeding hearts and great, splendid crimson peonies, white fragrant narcissi and thorny sweet scotch roses pink and blue and white columbines, and lilac-tinted bouncing bets, clumps of southernwood and ribbon grass and mint, purple Adam and Eve daffodils, and masses of sweet clover, white with its delicate, fragrant, feathery sprays, scarlet lightning that shot its fiery lances over prim, white musk flowers. A garden it was, where sunshine lingered, and bees hummed, and winds beguiled into loitering, purred and rustled. Oh, Diana, said Anne at last, clasping her hands. She does this a lot. She clasps her hands a lot. She's obvious. Well, it could be actually, I wonder if it's a security mechanism. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you want to go into it that way. But she, uh, so <clears throat> clasping her hands. Oh, Diana, said Anne at last, clasping her hands and speaking almost in a whisper. Oh, do you think you can like me a little enough to be my bosom friend? Diana laughed. Diana always laughed before she spoke. Why, I guess so, she said frankly. I'm awfully glad you've come to live at Green Gables. It will be jolly to have someone to play with. There isn't any girl who lives near enough to play with, and I have no sisters big enough. Will you swear to be my friend forever and ever? demanded Anne eagerly. Diana looked shocked. Why, it's dreadfully wicked to swear, she said rebukingly. Oh, no, not my kind of swearing. There are two kinds, you know. I've never heard of but one kind, said Diana doubtfully. There really is another. Oh, it isn't wicked at all. It just means vowing and promising solemnly. Well, I don't mind doing that, agreed Diana, relieved. How do you do it? We must join hands so, said Anne gravely. It ought to be over running water. We'll just imagine this path is running water. I'll repeat the oath first. I solemnly swear to be faithful to my bosom friend Diana Barry, as long as the sun and moon shall endure. Now you say it and put my name in. Diana repeated the oath with a laugh fore and aft. Then she said, You're a queer girl, Anne. I heard before that you were queer, but I believe I'm going to like you real well. When Marilla and Anne went home, Diana went with them as far as the log bridge. The two little girls walked with their arms about each other. 
At the brook, they parted with many promises to spend the next afternoon together. Well, did you find Diana a kindred spirit? asked Marilla as they went up through the Garden of Green Gables. Oh, yes, sighed Anne, blissfully unconscious of any sarcasm on Marilla's part. Oh, Marilla, I am the happiest girl on Prince Edward Island at this very moment. I assure you I'll say my prayers with a right good will tonight. Diana and I are going to build a playhouse in Mr. William Bell's birch grove tomorrow. Can I have those broken pieces of china that are out in the woodshed? Diana's birthday is in February and mine is in March. Don't you think that's a very strange coincidence? Diana's going to lend me a book to read. She says it's perfectly splendid and tremendously exciting. She's going to show me a place back in the woods where rice lilies grow. Don't you think Diana has got very soulful <laughs> eyes? I wish I had soulful eyes. Diana is going to teach me to sing a song called Nellie in the Hazel Dell. She's going to give me a picture to put up in my room. It's a perfectly beautiful picture, she says. A lovely lady in a pale blue silk dress. A sewing machine agent gave it to her. I wish I had something to give Diana. I'm an inch taller than Diana, but she is ever so much fatter. <laughs> she says she'd like to be thin because it's so much more graceful, but I'm afraid she only said it to soothe my feelings. We're going to the shore some day to gather shells. We have agreed to call the spring down of the log bridge the Dryad's Bubble. Isn't that a perfectly elegant name? I read a story once about a spring called that. A dryad is a sort of grown-up fairy, I think. Well, all I hope is you don't... <laughs> well, all I hope is you won't talk to Hannah to death, said Marilla. But remember this, in all your planning, Anne, you're not going to play all the time nor most of it. You'll have your work to do... And it'll have to be done first. Anne's cup of happiness was full, and Matthew caused it to overflow. He had just got home from a trip to the store in Carmody, and he sheepishly produced a small parcel from his pocket and handed it to Anne with a depreciatory look at Marilla. I heard you said you'd like chocolate sweeties, so I've got you some, he said. <laughs> Sniffed Marilla. It'll ruin her teeth and stomach. There, there, child, don't look so dismal. You can eat those since Matthew's gone and got them. He'd been better if you brought you peppermints. They're wholesomer. Don't sicken yourself eating all of them at once now. Fun fact, not true. Hmm? Chocolate is healthier, depending on the cocoa content. Okay. Than peppermint. Anyway, but yeah. So it's, it's funny how, like, you know, the attitude of the time, scientists don't test more. No. Oh, no, indeed, I won't, said Anne eagerly. I'll just eat one tonight, Marilla. And I can give Diana half of them, can't I? The other half will taste twice as sweet to me if I give some to her. It's delightful to think I have something to give her. I will say this for the child, said Marilla when Anne had gone to her gable. She isn't stingy. I'm glad, for of all faults, I detest stinginess in a child. Dear me, it's only three weeks since she came, and it seems as if she'd been here always. I can't imagine the place without her. Now, don't be looking, I told you so, Matthew. That's bad enough in a woman, but it isn't to be endured in a man. I'm perfectly willing to own up that I'm glad I consented to keep the child and that I'm getting fond of her, but don't you rub it in, Matthew Cuthbert. <laughs> uh. <laughs> it's, it's sweet. It's just like a child, for the first time, she might actually have... A friend. That's remember she had her looking glass friend. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's sad. Uh, and, and the echo. <laughs> the echo. Yes. She's had an echo. But she doesn't do anything by halves. They go outside and she's like, "Will you be my best friend?" Yeah, yeah. Katie and was it Katie in the looking glass and Violet in the uh, the echo? Something like that. 
My God, yeah, it's it's it. Yeah, so you can understand. Remember, we were discussing when she actually makes her first friend. It's going to be a huge deal. Well, I'll tell you this. I like how the book kind of primes that Diane is almost perfect for her even before they go outside because her mother goes, she's always reading. <laughs> yeah, she loves to read, but also she needs someone to encourage her to go outside. The fact that Diana laughs before and after things, like she's does a lot, she has a cheerful disposition. Or that could be a nervous tick. It could be, but they were saying she has her father's cheerful disposition. Uh, that, yeah, like that's good. She's got her See, mother's... See, this is, this is me... In inflecting negativity on everything yes, i'm reading yes, still making it <laughs> negative this is not 1984 um but yeah the idea that that uh you have um if you think about it she needed someone who does have some idea of what is proper which is why i went to the swear what do you mean swear swear is not like when i like that it. i said no, no no other swear different swear although i was kind of shocked that for such a reader she was the one who had to be told like that well i think probably i would say the books are screened by her parents and language would be very 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 restricted um quite possibly and i imagine books are hard to come by yeah well books that are considered suitable for uh, a woman, you know, women and their mm. novels and whether they should be reading them or not. It's a huge debate because yeah, they're yeah. like, novels are potentially immoral. You remember, okay, <laughs> major content warning. Women used to be sent to insane asylums for reading novels. For reading novels? Are you familiar with that? No, image? I mean, I knew they were sent for all kind of bogus reasons. But... There is a list. There is a long list of which people have circled some of the most ridiculous ones, including reading novels uh yeah but so that's why you can see also a little bit of that attitude in the mum, that tiny bit of maybe a fear for her daughter yeah well she's reading a lot oh no she might she might not be all well in her head Mm -hmm. so it's interesting how they they take that and it becomes a thing but she's uh she's yeah she is the perfect friend friend because she does have some structure and, and understanding she's been raised very strict she gets it. And at the same time, she has a light and cheerful heart. And, well, you know, Anne is overflowing with imagination. And anyone who reads has uh, been working out their imagination. Yeah, they, they, they have enough of an understanding of imagination. Probably nothing like Anne because he... Because Anne is Anne. Well, well, you see, Anne, like, took to books like A Duck to Water when she was able to read. We discussed that before. But I think even without reading, it was, was always there. That, yeah. 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 Well, it's, 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 she's a sweet. They're sweet children by disposition. And the fact that Anne is generous. I like the fact that Marilla noted focus on the good quality, that she's generous. This mm. is a generous child. Even when she has never had much, the little that she does have, she wants to share and give. And I must admit, even even as an adult, I kind of buckle when I meet someone who's stingy with their thing. Well, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's not a good trait. It's uh, Being generous is a good trait. I mean, generous within... Not to the detriment of yourself, but generosity. Well, I mean, if you wish to give beyond what you can, that's, that's a new, but it should be the motivation. If the motivation is from a good place, and I mean... It's one of those few times that, you know, they say intent doesn't matter. Okay, so there's a whole discussion in lots of circles where they say it's not the intent that counts, it's the outcome. 
Oh, it's the impact. I, I'm from very familiar with the the other argument. The the impact. And, and I, yeah. I, I I have problems with it, but I do think, regardless of the outcome, maybe intention is more important. I think it depends. Intent versus impact is a really it's it's an important way to gauge whether something is or isn't healthy or productive or things to to assess it. Not to judge by it, but to assess it when you're doing something, what the impact is, and to be honest about the impact, and then to learn from that. And if you genuinely have good intent, then you care about the impact. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's true. So if it's genuine good intent, for example, if you are generous because you want to, simply you want to give, you want to make sure someone else, she said it, it will taste twice as sweet because I have something to share with someone, right? Mm. Um, Because I get to share if that's genuine, then you're not going to have the, uh, like if, for example, Diana says, oh, my mom said I'm not allowed to have sweeties because they're not good for my health or I don't react well, my skin breaks yeah. out or I get really sick, then the, you wouldn't insist on doing something that is potentially harmful to them if they've mm. expressed it, for example. Okay. And you wouldn't undermine it. So that's impact. Mm. Does that make uh, sense? But, but I, I, mean, I mean generosity is like, let's say, it's not sweeties. Let's say it's her dinner, and by giving it to Diana, she doesn't get to eat. You know, yes, that and that's be... yeah, and that's the impact is that you're not taking care of your own health. But it is, I think, that's where it becomes a case of the impact on yourself. You need to determine whether that is um, whether it's appropriate or whether it's beneficial to. I guess that's where it, it depends on where your priority is. If your only benefit, if the focus in your life is your benefit or the benefit of others, but not to your own detriment, or the benefit of others and your benefit, or, you know, the utilitarian versus well, altruistic versus all that. A lot of um, the self-help stuff I've read talks about the idea that in compromising with people, ideally you want to get to a win-win situation where you both get what you yeah. want. And and it is possible to get that in most circumstances. You just have to really talk through what it is you're both trying to get, you know, to be honest and open, because then you can work out a compromise but if if someone's worried about expressing what they actually want or mm. maybe they don't even know it themselves or if someone really is only in it for themselves then that's going to be difficult well that's i think this is the thing like we're talking about people getting what they want i think in this particular case what if it's about people identifying what they can give not what they can get but what they can give and if we flip it on its head and stay in that space like what do I have that I can give? What can I share? And we focus on things like time. And that is our most precious resource. Time is a huge commodity. I mean, it's our precious, like limited resource that we each have. And that's something we can also give. Even our thought, even kind of going, offering thought, not that you give it un- unrequested, like for example, uh, okay, medical opinions. If someone asks, asks you, mm you're a bit familiar with this topic do you have any suggestions or recommendations and to say it from a place of humility of look this is what i know but i would i'll support you in whatever Mm -hmm. your like information you you would like to gather versus someone who thinks they're being generous gives an unasked opinion without actually reflecting on the impact on the person yeah Uh, unsolicited opinions because we we all have them and it's so easy to give because you know, we all have an ego and the ego is like, of course, other people want to hear what I think. Or more importantly, it's all sounds smart and people will appreciate more me more if I mm. impart this knowledge upon them. When sadly, most of the time when someone gives us unsolicited advice, we kind of think, Ugh, 
Well, it might not even be what they want other people to think of them or to feel towards them. It might be simply, it makes me feel good to tell you this stuff because I'm worried about you. But the thing is... See, that that doesn't strike me as ego. No, but the ego part comes in when you are saying, you are worried about this person, you want to care, show your care and, and consideration towards this person. Wouldn't you want to check with the person first if this is something that is helpful to them or something that they find... Yeah, painful or difficult or harmful. It's about being a savior. Yeah, we were talking about this already in the in a, a previous thing of this idea of to be cruel, to be kind, uh, to in the same category. If you actually care about people, you communicate and you try and identify what it like. You you ask them. You can ask them straight up. Would you like some advice, or you prefer not to have any at this point? And they go, No, I'd rather not. I've had. I've been reading a lot. I've I've heard a lot. I just I need a break from it. Okay, cool. I've heard a really great thing about that because, you know, I, I think I've talked about it on this podcast. I've we definitely have. talked to you about it, yeah. about how I've been trying to uh, work on my listening over the Yay. last few years. And um, one thing I read that I kind of liked is I, I think it's not exactly unhelpful, but I like the sentiment where is if, you know, if you have a friend who wants to vent before they start, you can ask them, OK, do you just want me to listen or would you like my opinion on what you're about to tell me? Because yeah. sometimes people just need to let it out and they want their friends to just be there to receive. Yeah. What, and also we should ask our friends, are you in a state of mind where you can cope with me venting? That too, yes. That's, I mean, I think honestly a lot of the things are consideration, courtesy, compassion. Like all of it boils down to compassion and if you're sincere about caring other for other people you actually want to know their feelings like and i think going back to Anne, and and honestly just comes across as a very sincere character that's what she is she can't she's not deceptive she's not as they're saying she's not sly she's very straightforward yeah. she, she's giving she's generous she's got a lot of very positive traits and um part of it might be because it's part of her is, is that character that she has. Honestly, my opinion on humanity is that we all have the capacity of all these things and mm -hmm. we all have these qualities. It's just that we create barriers or we don't get an opportunity to develop them. Or we're hurt in a way that we receive. It's, 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 well, yeah, no, it's like we, build, we have a wall that builds up between those particular qualities. We could all, we're all capable of being generous, of kind, all these things, but then living in this world navigating not getting an opportunity not being encouraged being dis actively discouraged to be generous for example think about yourself for a time you're like don't worry what 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 if you grew up in an area where no friends or family or anyone in your neighborhood actually was generous exactly if you're not surrounded by it how could you know about it i mean you might have the quality of it as an as a quality as part of your nature you already want mm -hmm. to give but if you don't see it acted out in front of you, it's quite hard to develop that ability or to, you could say you're being actively discouraged. Well, yeah. And there's also like in terms of being more open myself, you know, a lot of the barriers I have to doing the things I want to do is that, but what if I get hurt? Because it can be very yeah. scary to put yourself well, out and there. And I think that's, that's it. That's, that's mm. another big part. We get hurt a lot. And I think part of that, influences the way that we choose to act and and what we prioritize in a, in a less generous and passionate way because well it, it it's it's a fear of being yeah it's it's it is the ego at play 
it is, because it we're, was, we're worried yeah. about being hurt. Well, yes, we're we're worried about. I wonder if part of it is worried about being rejected. Oh, worried about being our actions not being as, judged well, well. As someone who's adopted, let me say yes. That that <laughs> yes. plays heavily into at least my, a lot of my uh, problems. Yeah, yeah. Uh, rejection is a huge, huge factor, and and of course, uh, we, uh, well, with Anne, we know it's going to be a major. I mean, she's. She was bursting into tears at the in response to the church. Um, at the beginning of the chapter, she was like, oh, you want to send me back because I've done something horribly wrong. Yeah, and, and again, there was a little shred of me that again took the negative of that, the, oh, she's playing that up to get out. But well, then again, the way I read it also kind of emphasized that it was really dramatic, but for her, that's what it feels like. Yeah, well, and, you know, that's going to be a legitimate fear for a long time. Yeah. Um, she's only what it's been three weeks, Marissa, at the end of the latest chapter. And, and I think it's interesting that at the beginning of the chapter, you have that, even just that. Okay, I'm gonna don't like using the word, but it works that way. It's a knee jerk kind of reaction from Anne, mm -hmm. like that. It, it's it's a pr very primal. Oh, you're gonna send me back. I'm gonna lose everything. I'm not gonna have a home. Like yeah, it's well, um, it's, a, it's sorry. I'm gonna use the word. She sounds like she's been triggered by the way that that was addressed. Well, also she's almost an adolescent now, and I do remember we're like, you know, at school uh, as a high schooler. I uh, I was a very emotional. Well, all adolescents are adolescents. You know, no, the, the the amount of transformation that the the adolescent brain and body, like the brain. Whew. Like, like adolescent brain is huge restructuring. Well, you know, a, a, a friend of mine, you know, gives me the cold shoulder and I go home and I'm absolutely distraught because I think he doesn't want to be my friend anymore. Yeah. Like my brain instantly went to that wrong, the worst case scenario. Yeah. And I mean, so much of us do that in life anyway. Uh, catastrophizing, it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, think, I think it's an offset of anxiety it's related to okay anyone can catastrophize anyone can like like what Anne did at the beginning of the chapter mm. they can go to the worst absolute worst mm. thing but it's when it's um interfering with your ability to function that it actually usually is considered right. a pathology uh, and when it contributes to your anxiety except because everyone has a okay we treat anxiety as a pure pathology anxiety to a certain amount Worry and anxiety are things, they're just emotions that we do use. Like they, they make us think, oh, I need to actually, I, I'm insufficiently prepared for this situation. It, it's example. fear of the future. Yeah, anxiety. And because we don't know the future, that can make it scary. Yes, but at the same time, it makes it makes you kind of review and say, am I adequately prepared for my for what I can do? Have I prepared everything that I have, can? And then you go and you review and you, you prepare what you can. Anxiety is when you can't see in any which way, um, how you could even start preparing. Or, you, or, or you're just dwelling on the negative to the detriment of anything else. You, you're dwelling on the sensation to the point of not being able to function. Like anxiety as a diagnosis versus anxiety as a, as a quality are, are, are two different things. And I think sometimes we need to distinguish between that. Like anyone, if you go to a doctor and you've just had a test for some sort of condition, if you don't have a certain level of anxiety you are that's just not healthy like you should True. be a little con in fact that maybe the term there would be concern concern is just another word for 
anxiety. It's another variation. A healthy level. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's what was considered an acceptable level, or well, it's a non non pathological level of anxiety. Is how we're going to phrase it, and we can't gauge it in other people unless we have the appropriate qualifications, because we do not armchair diagnose, except for maybe fictional characters, um, which. <laughs> Yeah, no, we joked about that before. Yes, yes, yes. We'll, we'll try our hardest not to do that for real people, but yeah, we'll go nuts with Anne. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, we'll be a little no holds barred. And and we're be- just because get because unless the author's written that in the text themselves, there's no right or wrong answer. I wonder if someone's actually. I would suspect some psychologists, or psychiatrists, have actually done an analysis of this. But but it's also, and this is getting a little off to the side, but. Unless it's in the text itself, I don't consider it relevant. Like, you know how J.K. Rowling, after the Harry Potter books, has talked about all, you know, these characters are this way or this is what was really going on. I'm like, well, that stuff isn't in the book. So I I disregard, even though you're the author, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. Because it's not in the text. Well, it's not what what the story has conveyed and therefore it's not the thing. Yeah. If, If you write... You know, a new Harry Potter book, and this plays a role in it. Then yes, that becomes. And it's also, if, is it relevant? If it's not relevant, that's why you left it out of the book. If it's relevant, it's in the book. With uh, with Anne um, as well. Uh, I, I'm also. I think a lot of it is also we're probably like I'm identifying psychiatric and psychological things that are part of my life as well, mm-hmm. um, quite actively, and so therefore I can identify and I feel a little bit more confident in identifying it. But obviously, not something that I would either do myself or encourage being done to other people. Like I'd say, hey, have you considered having a chat? So my attitude, and I don't want to tell other people how to do it, but this is my way of doing it. If I see something in another person that I feel could, or they come to me and like a friend goes, hey, I'm really, like, I just feel almost unable to function because of the, the levels of anxiety I'm in. You know this. Like, I'll go and I'll say, hey, have you have you talked to someone about it? Like, have you considered maybe seeing a professional about it? Mm. I know this guy, professional. If it's a local person, so I know this professional. They're actually pretty good. Because Rue's done the rounds. I've done the rounds. I've, I, I, uh, She's got a list of... Of uh, ones I stay far, far away from mm-hmm. and I encourage people to stay far, far away from. But I'll also say, hey, they're this kind of person and they might actually be suit you. So don't, don't knock it until you try it. Um, things like that. But um, when it comes to, like, I'll talk to, you can talk to someone over in the US or you can talk to someone anywhere in the world and you can see something, if it's interfering with their ability to function in life, I might say, hey, have you considered having a chat with someone who's trained in these, hmm. in, in conditions that need to be addressed? And and I think maybe an important thing to think about why armchair diagnosis can be a very big problem. Hmm. The people who are trained to do this aren't infallible. They no. get it wrong too. Exactly. And so where if someone is completely untrained, yep. the chances of getting it wrong increases. And also it stigmatizes because not all bad behavior is due to mental illness and not all, uh, sorry, quote, quote, bad behavior. Not all bad behavior can be attributed to that. Not all erratic behavior can be attributed to that. It can be selected. It can be deliberate. It can be, like, we don't know. Hmm. And it removes the ability of of the individuals who it, it's it removes agency from individuals who are diagnosed. Yeah, it's not right, and it's yeah, it stigmatizes and it, it, it makes a mental health a gimmick. Like in it, like you you term um, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna use an expression. When you say, "Oh, I'm just a bit bipolar," or "I'm just a little bit OCD," or "I'm just a bit," oh, this thing's a bit schizo. Like you know, we use it as an adjective. Mental health diagnoses are not an adjective, and we keep doing it uh, in general. We as in as societies, we tend to do it in our language. But what does that say about the, what we think about people who actually have these conditions? That it's a bit of a joke, yeah. Yeah, it's it's dismissing the very serious and difficult and the challenging nature of having mental illnesses, and it's quite hard. Mm. <laughs> Supposedly, I have uh, OCD. <laughs> I say supposedly because I don't have it all the time. I just I go through phases. I go through patches. So that's why I particularly will notice when people say, "Oh, I'm just I've just got I'm just OCD about this." I'm going. Mm. <laughs> So yes, I will admit yeah. that there's um, the context, a full disclosure here that there is likely a context well, of, also I don't like it being dismissed. From my understanding, it's the difference between, a, oh, I like to tidy my office versus I have a compulsion that I can't actually... Control. Uh, I can't actually go on with my life until these things yeah, are done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a control thing. And it's, it's very frustrating because it also no one's one thing looks the same as the other thing. There's certain yeah. traits, but not permanent. Yeah. Anyway, we're getting right off into the weeds today. <laughs> no, as a, it's just uh, we've had our interesting discussion at the end of the podcast rather than before we started it reading. It does happen. It does happen. I like the ending with uh, "Don't rub it in." Yes, yes. Yeah. I she's I've, I've grown attached to her. I like her. She's a sweetie. I told you so. Is I don't like it in women, and it definitely shouldn't be in men. <laughs> <laughs> she's such. She's so like. Don't do it. Don't be such a don't be a smart ass, basically, yeah, yeah. to a brother. But yeah. Um, so on that note, uh, the music at the top of the podcast was Avin Lee by Hey Good Hardy. And at the end of the podcast, it's I'm the Slime by Frank Zappa. You can find Dave at on Twitter at Dave underscore the underscore turnip. Okay, we're doing that, eh? <laughs> and you can find Rue at at Rue McMoo. <laughs> and you can find our podcast at. <laughs> SMBSLT podcast, both on Twitter and Facebook. So until next time. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. Message, send comments, links, anything. Amazon review. Uh, please use the Facebook group. Contact us on Twitter. Share it on. If, if you're like part of a Reddit reading community, we'd love to get some play there. If, if you want to show the podcast that completely and totally embarrasses all analysis of Anne of Green Gables. Hey, 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 hey. No, no, no. no we no, do no. good work. We good work. Okay, we'll let that go. So we'll just drop that bit. So until next time, enjoy your reading, everyone. And bon voyage. Sure. Yeah. <laughs>